You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamualaikum. Peace and blessings to all our listeners out there. Welcome to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. Uh, you're with my, you're live with myself, Talib Man. Imams, in fact, the plural Imams, Arana Rahman and Imran Akram. Uh, so we're all ready for a, a quite a kind of packed show. I think uh, in our first hour we'll be touching on obesity. So that's a I, yeah, I just caught myself. I was going to say that's a big problem, right? So it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing. But yeah, obesity uh, amongst the youth in society currently and how that impacts not just obviously physically on our health, but uh, mentally as well. Uh, and in the second hour, um, we have uh, oh, another kind of like very, um, I suppose... Current topic. Yeah, it's not only current, but just just thought provoking, mm. headache would say stressful. Yeah, stressful. The the economy and an outlook for the economy into twenty twenty three, and I don't know about you, uh, gentlemen, your moms, but I'm a very much uh, the glass is half full mm-hmm. kind of guy, and I'm, I'm an optimist. But uh, as regards the economy, even I find uh, it hard to kind of think where can we? I suppose we can't get any worse. But hey ho, you know, inshallah, God willing, we don't get any worse uh, this year. But um, who knows? Really, who knows where we're going to go to? But uh, those are the two topics. Uh, throw it out to all the guys. Uh, well, both both the, uh, the imams with me today. You know, you know your thoughts initially. Let's let's say with the, the first um, topic so, of obesity, yeah. right? It is this. Uh, I mean, I, I saw a stat. Where's my stats? that uh, obesity in the UK, a health survey uh, for England 2021, so that's over a year old, right, estimates that 25.9% of adults in in England uh, are obese and a a further 37.9%, almost 40%, right, are overweight but not obese. So the trend is there. Okay, uh, obesity is usually defined as having a body mass, a BMI, a body mass index of 30 or above. Now, the BMI between 25 and 30 is classed as overweight. So we can see that trend is there. Um, do you want to kick us off, Imran? Yeah, absolutely. Imran. I mean, uh, if we talk about it, obesity, doesn't come alone. It also have you know emotional effects uh, on, especially on the children and young adults. Now. The topic of obesity is uh, normally um, avoided due to the sensitivity of the topic and how it destroys the confidence of uh, whosoever is being targeted. Our environment, especially uh, you know, home, uh, plays a significant role in how our health is taken care of and how well our emotions are managed. Now, that is why we should be kind in our words, especially to the children and young adults. Now, there's a saying of the Holy Prophet, وسلم, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that whosoever is kind and uh, affable and easygoing, Allah will forbid uh, him for entering hellfire. Now, emotional intelligence is also important in our daily lives and is how well we maintain and manage our emotions. The fifth caliph of Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmad, explained that if we do not wish our mental capaci- uh, capacities to be ruined, we need to avoid ill thinking of others and also avoid anger. Now, if we wish to become true believers, we have to employ our 
capabilities at the right time and place. Anger should only be challenged properly uh, for a, a reformation and not push into a state of frenzy. Now, all of these, um, you know, um, His Holiness is uh, stating that, you know, uh, one should uh, one should challenge his uh, whatever uh, capacities and whatever abilities he has uh, properly uh, challenged to to reform. And also, uh, I remember he came to our um, Jamia, which is a university where uh, we graduated from uh, and became a missionary. And he came mm -hmm. to our uh, university and he uh, said to us that, uh, we should be role model to our young generation mm -hmm. um, uh, in exercising and in, in uh, keeping up, uh, you know, fitness. And also, mm -hmm. Islam are very, very much emphasized on the fitness as well. Mm. I suppose, mm. Rana, you know, there, there is that expression, and it's in Islam. You know, a healthy mind is, uh, or oh, sorry, a healthy body leads to a healthy mind, and the, the two things are intrinsically linked. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, when we look at, say, for instance, children, what, what, what about, uh, how, you know, how does obesity and, you know, I think something that you just said there, actually, mm -hmm. Imran, just instructor, is being kind with your words. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it just seems to me that um, and, and the stats show it doesn't even seem to me the stats are indicating that there is this trend towards being overweight and obese in England and the UK in general. And isn't it bizarre? Because maybe 10 years ago there was a trend the other way around mm -hmm. yeah where uh, i suppose the youth really had that um image it w which was propagated by social media of being thin yeah. right mm -hmm. so uh, from my kind of like you know understanding of how social media trends and um, mm -hmm. how things are changing with times um so i remember there was a great um athlete um who in his interview when he asked uh, what do you see in your sport? Uh, how do you see the new generation of um, mm -hmm. sportsmen and athletes coming through? And he was like, well, the new generation of children, they seem to be very soft. Um, mm -hmm. So we don't see the, you know, the, the toughness, the hardness mm -hmm. um, in that sense coming forward. Maybe it's because of uh, just all of the luck. Well, even though we're going through an e economic crisis right crisis, now, but... Yeah. In terms of uh, before that, mm -hmm. um, maybe all of the luxuries of, you could say, the West, maybe at mm -hmm. times. Um, uh, the Affluent living, I suppose. Affluent yeah. living, yeah. Uh, living exactly. Um, also, I think in terms of not everyone can afford organic mm -hmm. uh, diets, right? Mm -hmm. So the general... Or healthy diets. Healthy diets, exactly. Mm -hmm. So um, there is going to be this rise in uh, unfitness, mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily obesity to the extreme, mm -hmm. because obesity, I, you know, it's very hard to define. You know, when you said the word, um, what the st statistics in regards to BMI, mm -hmm. so there's a, there's a very small margin from being overweight, and nearly everyone you would see is most likely overweight. Mm -hmm. And then there is that small margin when it tips over into obese. Obesity, so, yeah. um in that sense, I would say that maybe, yeah, the affluent living uh, mm. is probably one of the reasons. I mean, if you think back to, say, obviously I'm a bit slightly older than both yeah. you gentlemen, <laughs> right? But, you know, the generations past would have more of a, a physical, right? A, a physical environment. A physical childhood. Yeah, a physical childhood. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was maybe in my teens or younger, I'd be out running. Right, mm -hmm. running. not running, running, not running away from people, but yeah. just you know the joy of running, joy of like being out in parks with your friends, and you know kicking a ball around, whatever it is, and partaking yeah. in sport. And I see, even say for instance, with my, you know, I've got, uh, you know, I, I was going to say, yeah, they are supposed 
teenage boys, right? They're in their 18s. But all through their secondary education, they read, I mean, they did a few sports, but not to the extreme. Well, I wouldn't say I did it extreme, but you saw this kind of, I suppose, um, leveling off, if not um, movement away from physical sports to more sedentary things, right? You know, being on social media, maybe playing with uh, you know, your game stations, I shouldn't say game stations, playstations <laughs> or whatever they are. Yeah. So there's that, I think, element as well is becoming much more sedentary, not just in the youth, but also, you know, our work environments now. We yeah. don't really have, I mean, if you're in the office, well, you're eight hours sat down, right? Sat down, yeah. So there's no way of burning, um, you know, that, that kind of like that extra fat off, really, yeah. in terms of your labor. And then also to kind of compound that issue is, I suppose, the work-life balance now exactly you know, you're spending so much time working and then you rush home and then you think oh you know what it's easier to pop one of these ready meals in ready meals exactly Ding, you know 30 seconds later you've got something you know to eat timings as well timings of when you eat your food as well you know if you're going home about seven or eight o'clock and having a meal at nine o'clock you know mm -hmm. how healthy is that you're going to be eating at nine um, and if it's not one of those properly made meals where you would think that this is a low mm -hmm. calorie intake, mm -hmm. um, you're sleeping on that and then you're waking mm -hmm. up and then, you know, that exactly in terms of your not, your, your, your daily routines um, and to keep a healthy uh, balance in that, it's actually a really mm. tough challenge in the work life. I think, as, uh, as you mentioned, Talib, that, yeah, you know, uh, social media has uh, played a crucial role in, you know, today's, you know, how, we, how we live t today. And... And apart from that, advertising of the junk food on the TV and, and the social yeah. media is enormous. And, you know, they kind of glorify the, you know, uh, junk food mm -hmm. to, the, to the children. And they, that's how they polluted the mind of, you know, young generation that mm. this is kind of healthy. Just because mm. you have uh, a... I'm looking at you, Imran. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, you know, I feel guilty having that Big Mac over the weekend now. Don't do that to me, Big, Big Macs are still healthy compared to what um, the gentleman is basically referring to. It's yeah, a, I mean... You know, the stuff nowadays you see on social media, right? The way they've uh, designed mean, burgers, for instance, like the extra layers of cheese. Yeah. You know... Oh, the, don't <laughs> say things like that. That's like, there's nothing wrong with there's, that. There's so many types yeah, of no. fries, like, you can, yeah, you can yeah. literally have. It's yeah. just like, wow. But also, don't you think, guys, that... Um, you know, okay, let's just do a straw poll. Uh, if you go into, say, the, you know, the supermarket or whatever, and you pick up something, I seldom pick up ready meals because I come from a, a, a cooking background. Yeah. So to me, to make something takes a couple of minutes anyway. But say, for instance, you are to pick up a ready-made meal. How often do you actually look at all the the information? You know, the the the. Uh, I think they call it the traffic. Yeah. The traffic. Uh, you know, signals, yeah? yeah. Say how, you know, how much fat there is, how much sugar there is. How often do you do it? I, I don't be, really do be, it. Be, be true for that, <laughs> I don't really do it. I just eat it because I'm hungry. So I don't <laughs> so really there do you go. I 100% look at the calories. Right. I don't look at the, um, obviously it has to be halal as well. So yeah. make sure that there's nothing uh, that could be in, uh, could put me in trouble with that mm -hmm. sense. But um, I definitely look at the calories mm -hmm. um, and I always look at the time myself that when am I actually eating it right, um, okay. I tend to avoid it in the evenings Yeah. so, so, so we've got a quite a good straw mm, poll here because yeah, yeah. it's 50% at least right mm -hmm. yeah somebody doesn't really care <laughs> I won't say who right <laughs> just something to, to kind of like eat and I, I understand that Imran mm, that's, that's yes. true mm. but uh, just to kind of like kick this conversation further down 
the, the lane regarding obesity. Uh, we're joined by our first guest, which is uh, Linda Vizzoli. Uh, Linda Vizzoli is a, nutri a nutritional therapist and a lecturer at the College of Neuro Neuropathy and uh, Medicine, CNM. Peace and blessings be upon you, Linda. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. So we're talking about obesity and some of the factors um, that I suppose create that uh, environment that it seems to be quite something which is quite easy to fall into currently. Mm. I mean, how would you encourage young adults to build a healthy, uh, you know, a healthy relationship to food as opposed to, you know, what, what is, uh, I think we were describing uh, prior to you coming on, just that, that convenience yeah, so well, I mean, it can be it can be a bit of a challenge to build a healthy relationship with food if you've been, you know, if you've grown up on convenience foods, or if you're struggling with, uh, you know, sort of um, restrictive dieting, etc. But it, one of the things I think is important to remember is that this is a process, and it takes time and patience. And my personal top recommendations would be to encourage young adults to see food as a source of fuel and nourishment for their body rather than just a way to satisfy cravings or emotions and to help them understand that food is essential for maintaining energy levels, supporting growth and development and keeping the body healthy. So I think that's, you know, once you understand how the body works and why certain foods are important for that, you can understand why eating, for example, uh, processed foods that are very calorie dense but very nutrient poor aren't actually going to give the body the fuel that it needs to mm -hmm. actually do all the processes that uh, you know that um, that it needs to do throughout the day. So you want to get them to eat a variety of foods from different food groups rather than focusing on things like restrictive diets or cutting out certain foods altogether. Mm -hmm. My other oh sorry yes no carry on. Uh, my other recommendation would be, especially if someone, you know, young adults who are overweight and they're trying to lose weight and they want to build a healthy relationship with food, is to ditch the weight loss focus. Mm -hmm. So instead of focusing on weight loss, focusing on nourishment and health mm -hmm. and encouraging young adults to focus on how they feel rather than on how they look. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so helping help them understand that weight is not the only indicator of health. And that building a healthy relationship with food is about feeling good, having certain markers of health, like sleeping well, uh, having stable moods, having daily bowel movements. Uh, you know, if it's a female, having pain-free uh, and uh, regular cycles. All of these things are a sign that our body is healthy. But oftentimes we just focus on the number on the scales and we kind mm -hmm. of we do things that are a little bit deleterious because we're so focused on the weight loss that we're not looking at all you know other health markers uh, mm -hmm. and you know other markers that our body is telling us these messages that our body mm -hmm. is sending us but Lin and then Lin yeah. Linda I mean you know, do you focus on because there's so many people on diets they're trying yeah. uh, I have friends who are on the uh, what's the just protein you know keto diets right keto, yeah. Uh, yeah. and then you have and they seem to be almost like a fashion as well right mm -hmm. uh, yeah. there's a trend towards them I mean personally I've never been on a diet I think I'm, I'm in that group whereby uh, you just say like you know you eat when you need to eat uh, yeah. and it makes you feel good I come from a cooking background so yeah we're right. pretty much kind of like balanced in our diet as well but I can see that you know, if you actually are on a diet, and I suppose for me, the common sense view of it is if you're on a diet and you're not 
actually making that diet part of your lifestyle in the long mm. term, then you know if you have actually say for instance calorie counted, lost yeah. x amount of you know uh, kilos, your weight is down, and then you you think oh okay I've, I've the diet's done its job right, and then mm -hmm. you stop the diet. And then you go back to your normal you know, eating habits, or maybe the yeah. you know, incorrect eating habits. Yeah. Then it's it's a it's a cycle, isn't it? Yeah, and that's why diets generally don't work, and that's ah. why the diet industry is is such a huge industry because they mm -hmm. don't work. If you're not a lot of these diets, they do work in the short term, and that's one thing. You know, you lose weight, uh, but then they're very unsustainable. You know, especially mm -hmm. very restrictive diets where you're cutting out whole food groups. Um, they can be unsustainable in the long term. And that's why you want to focus on a lifestyle change and focusing on health rather mm -hmm. than the weight loss. And weight loss will come. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sometimes other things need to fall into place first, but weight loss will come. You need to be healthy to lose weight, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. So that's why these you know people are... And actually, it's been shown that the more you're on and off a diet, you know, for longer periods of time, so people, you know, I know I work with women who have been on diets for decades, you know, on, off, on, off, and this yo-yo dieting can actually really uh, negatively impact your metabolism mm -hmm. so that you get to a certain point where, you know, your metabolic rate is so low that any time you eat anything over a certain amount, you, you put on weight. So it can be mm -hmm. very, very hard mm -hmm. then to, to lose weight uh, later on in life. So you're one of the very few people I've spoken to who's never been on a diet. <laughs> Most yeah, no. I, 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 the only gym I know is uh, someone I used to go to university with. So, yeah, I'm one of those dinosaurs, I'm afraid. But I think Imran's got a yeah. question for you. Yeah, Linda. Yes. Uh, we know that lots of people, you know, struggling with the eating disorder. Now, how does yeah. eating food as a coping mechanism damage, damage us emotionally? Well, um, eating food as a coping mechanism can damage us in a number of ways. Um, one of the main ways, I think, is that it doesn't actually help us to deal with our emotions in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And instead, it simply numbs us to our feelings and distracts us from actually dealing with them. It's a similar thing to how people sometimes may turn to alcohol or even like scrolling on social media. You know, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a numbing mechanism. Um, and it, it stops us from actually feeling our, you know, feeling our feelings. And we need to be able to deal with all of our emotions, good and bad, in a healthy way. So when we're turning to food for comfort, it can also, you know, it can it stops us from feeling that way. But it can also lead to feelings of guilt and shame and self-loathing, which can then further compound our emotional problems. Um, it can also lead to disordered eating patterns such as overeating and binge eating and then unhealthy compensatory mechanisms such mm -hmm. as over-exercising or purging. And this is where the eating disorder part comes in. This can further disrupt our mental, emotional and physical health. Mm -hmm. But the main thing I think with emotional, with emotional eating is that uh, it can lead to health problems due to the type of foods which are usually consumed when we're emotional eating. You know, nobody goes and eats for comfort, like eats an orange yeah, for comfort broccoli. or a salad. Yeah, you know, we <laughs> when we sprouts. used to, exactly. Oh God, I feel so sad. I'm going to go eat some Brussels sprouts. Um, you know, we when we use food to cope with our emotions, we often turn to highly processed, calorie dense, but very nutrient poor foods that can then contribute to nutrient deficiencies and health issues such as you know dysregulated blood sugar, inflammation, weight gain, hormonal imbalances, etc. And this can then further compound our emotional problems as we may feel even worse about ourselves and our bodies. Mm. So Linda, the um, thing is, change is, 
something which we always strive to do at some point in our lives uh, to make a better uh, means of living in terms of our physical and mental state, right? So um, I want to know, um, a lot of young adults don't know where to start in regards to their diet. What advice would you yeah. give to these young adults? Yeah, I can understand. There's so much information out there, right? You know, you'll go online or on TV. Everybody's telling you, eat this, don't eat that. So I think if you're a young adult and you're not sure where to start when it comes to diet, my personal advice would be to start with the basics, like real basics. Eat regular meals and snacks throughout the day to keep your energy levels stable and maintain a healthy metabolism. And when you're eating your meals, make sure that you're balancing your carbs and protein at each meal to make sure that you're getting all the nutrients that you need and to balance your blood sugar. Because anytime you have blood sugar imbalances, or that's when you kind of your body will send out an emergency signal, and that's mm-hmm. what sends you headfirst in a tub of ice cream to get that energy. So things like fad diets, erratic eating, drastic cutting calories, all of these things that we talked about earlier, you know, they don't, uh, they can not only, they're not only restrictive and can disrupt our metabolism and making it then difficult to maintain a healthy weight the more we do them, but can also lead to cravings and binging, which will then have a negative impact on our health goals. And they're not sustainable long term. I have so many clients who eat really erratic, who think they're addicted to sugar mm-hmm. because they're ending up, they're eating all these sugary foods and binging in the evenings. And then when you look at their diet, they're just not eating enough. They're like skipping breakfast or having a very, or skipping lunch or having a very light lunch. And they're not having regular meals and snacks throughout the day, keeping their blood sugar um, stable. And then that's going to stop the body from going and sending that signal like, I need energy now and sending you to the chocolate drawer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but do you think that, for instance, um, you, you know, the uh, the diets that we grow up on uh, culturally. Um, so, for instance, uh, culturally, I grew up on a, a diet which was um, very much oil based um, mm-hmm. uh, South Asian food mainly. Right. So um, yes. when you say that, OK, you should eat your normal regular meals. Uh, isn't that going to be well? My normal regular meal, uh, my three times a day or my two times a day, would yeah, be carbs. Uh, would be exactly carbs. Oh, yeah. It could be curry, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which yep. is which isn't exactly the most uh, healthy kind of mm-hmm. uh, diet. So, how would that vary in re- in, in regards to that yeah. advice? So, I think you know when we're looking to um, you know the types of food that you want to eat, we want to you know look at things like healthy um, protein sources, things like lean meats, fish, eggs, uh, good quality dairy if tolerated. And then balancing that out with whole food carbohydrates, so things like root vegetables and squashes. Um, you know, rice can be okay in the right quantities. Um, sourdough bread, ripe fruit, and vegetables also obviously are very high in a lot of nutrients. Um, they will help us feel full and satisfied and provide our body with the nutrients that it needs to function properly. Now, I don't have a problem necessarily with with fats. I think we need fats for. Uh, for health, but it's the type of fat that sometimes can, you know, can be, uh, can cause a bit more, you know, issues with weight and with inflammation. So a lot of the vegetable oils that we see nowadays that are found in a lot of processed foods like soybean oil, sunflower oil, corn oil, even rapeseed oil, they're very unstable at higher temperatures, so Mm -hmm. they shouldn't really be used for cooking, and they can cause a lot of uh, issues with, you know, inflammation and, you know, cardiovascular issues if consumed on a regular basis. Um, And so, you know, first of all, they're they're found in all processed foods, so we want to avoid those if possible. But if you're, you know, if you're cooking at home, then we want to look at, 
you know, you, you mentioned your traditional diet of, would have most likely used things like ghee, maybe. Yeah, 100% um, ghee. You, know, ghee. you can't get away with ghee. In this <laughs> yeah, so ghee uh, is a very amazing, it's an amazing fat. It's very stable at, mm. at higher temperatures, but mm. to cook with is really good. Obviously, you want to potentially look at the portions. I mean, I'm Italian. We use olive oil and mm -hmm. we just literally drown everything <laughs> in it. But you but see, you, that's so the you thing. you want to be careful. With Linda, with olive oil, it doesn't change yes. uh, no matter how hot you use it. It does. Um, no, it does. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's why you see as a Mediterranean diet, um, yeah. you know, people live for a lot longer. They don't seem to have so many issues with cholesterol. Um, mm. Yeah, there's something about olive oil. I mean, once you get over that taste, um, it's an acquired taste, right? Um, <laughs> well, but, I'm Italian. I grew up on yeah, it. Yeah, you, you know, you're biased, aren't you, I suppose? <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to have, you know, kind of like a bit of olive oil on, on a salad uh, and dressing. Yeah. And it just kind of refreshes it up. I mean, you know, what are, uh, Lena, the healthy options uh, when we look at not necessarily weight loss, but just to kind of like promote uh, that kind of, a long-term lifestyle mm -hmm. right at a young age for our children? Well, I think the main thing that I would say, the most important that I would recommend is to lead by example. Mm -hmm. So children learn by watching and mimicking the behavior of the adults around them. So it's really important to model healthy eating as well as physical activity habits. So you cannot expect your child to love fruits and vegetables when we ourselves are surviving on coffee and, and takeaway meals, right? Mm -hmm. So the best way to promote healthy eating behavior is to do it ourselves, model it, and mm -hmm. in our home to include healthy food options instead of processed foods and snacks. So things mm -hmm. like fruits and vegetables and lean protein and all the things that we were talking about before, the well, you know, legumes and grains, and encourage the child to try new foods and make healthy eating a fun and positive experience. Mm -hmm. And I would say also encouraging the parents and caregivers to incorporate children in the cooking process can be a great way to promote healthy habits so you know by involving children in the meal planning or growth maybe not grocery shopping because i've been with my daughter to the grocery store it can be a little bit challenging but with the cooking um they they're more likely invested in the food that they're eating and they can make healthier choices and when you're cooking with a child you can also provide an opportunity to teach them about healthy ingredients about portion control the importance of a balanced diet and when children are involved in the cooking process they're more likely to try new foods mm. and develop a love for cooking as well which can then lead to healthier food choices throughout their lives mm, very good very good advice there linda yeah. well you know it's been a, a pleasure having you on the show today thank you very much for joining us thank you so much on the uh, drive time show this afternoon linda thank you very thank much you. have a good day thanks you too bye 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at voice of islam uk i believe we've got a uh, we've had an insta story which is uh, we, we've posted out there on uh, voice of islam why is obesity on the rise i mean do we have some answers some responses guys Yes, uh, I think it's personally my favorite is KFC. <laughs> <laughs> well, favorite to eat or just favorite response? <laughs> I think favorite response. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, so. Uh, you know, it's not you know a guilty pleasure, right? Yeah. But you know, if you don't do it, you know, every day for every meal, I don't see the the problem in that. It's I suppose the Islamic viewpoint is moderation, isn't it? It's Absolutely. just you know having. Any other responses? I would say that in regards to the, um, if you're saying that, why is it on the rise? Uh, mm. That's pretty much a question that is it a recent rise, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say a recent rise is because of the uh, 
lockdowns and pandemics. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the atmosphere at the time was pretty much, you know, the only thing you can do is either go for a walk or a run. Mm-hmm. Or you could stay home and because you've got so much money uh, accumulating because of uh, not having to spend here and there on mm. travel and stuff. So you could go to your local superstore and pick up some of the best meals and have great meals at home. Mm-hmm. And this just became a comfort. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that that's one of the... Just never had it, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. a comfort that uh, eating great food uh, becomes a sort of habit, exactly. And mm-hmm. uh, then once it's all opened up again, and then it was... How was it promoted in the sense that, you know... Eat out. Um, yeah, eat out. Uh, oh, yeah, that was uh, a Prime Minister's thing. So that was it? also continued, yeah. wasn't it? So, yeah, we need to eat somehow... Eat out to help out. Now we, yeah, like eat that. out, help out. Now yeah. we have to somehow help the economy by eating mm-hmm. again, now eating yeah. out again. Mm. So uh, I guess yeah, that I think, the past two or three years have pretty much added to that. Yeah, definitely. and I think another response, actually, to, to that Insta story uh, on your kind of like theme is that everything is a click away, uh, no movement needed, food and groceries can be ordered. Uh, actually, another uh, re- response in line with what Linda was like, saying, mm-hmm. consuming energy-dense diets accompanied with sedentary lifestyle. So the two things, you know, the, that juxtaposition of eating something which is just yeah, not good for you and then actually not doing any exercise is a double whammy. Exactly. Really. I mean, I would really love for the time to come where, you know, we have to go out and get our food, work hard for it, and then bring it home and, uh, you know, make it in that sense as well where, you know, it's hard-earned food. There was, mm-hmm. you know, there's people around the world who have to do that, right? So- Rana, don't get me on to that subject. <laughs> no, no, I'll tell you why, right? Because I do, not, I do not subscribe to that school of thought that I don't have time to cook, Yeah. right? Um, you can, I mean, we just spoke to Linda, uh, and she's, you know, Italian, uh, Mediterranean. I know you guys kind of like specifically Southeast Asian, yeah. right? But you can knock up something like, say, for instance, a little pasta, exactly. tomato sauce, right? Pasta, fifteen minutes. Something in your efforts, yeah. Yeah, fifteen minutes, and it's quick. Mm-hmm. It's fresh. It tastes nice. I mean, you can knock up a, a like a a quick curry, wholemeal roti. Yep. It's very, very quick, yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, I would say some working houses, I've seen it myself, uh, they make a, a tough effort on the weekends. They would cook up a lot of food. Um, I don't know if how healthy that would be considered, you know, when you, fr- when you fr- mm. freeze the food mm-hmm. and then, you know, you're taking it out uh, every day and eating it. But, yeah, there is that effort of, you know, uh, this is home. At the end of the mm-hmm. day, essentially, it is home-cooked food at the end of the day. But... Mm-hmm. Um, Another response we got is no time, you know, which which we mentioned previously that people tend to eat um, uh, ready-made food mm-hmm. and uh, things we can uh, be, you know, uh, heating up in three minutes. So it's really about, you know, uh, the that people don't have time, very busy life, and you know, people tend to, you know, uh, rely rely on the food which is, you know, maybe prepared in five to ten minutes or maybe junk food this is actually a question for like talib maybe if you if you don't have time to cook food then what do you mm-hmm. have time for exactly what do people <laughs> want to do if they don't want to cook food how do they do they want to consume their time mm, well no i mean the thing is it's i think we touched upon this right at the top of the show yeah because people say for instance you come from a household where both the parents are working yeah. right you've got children at school they come home from school you come home and you feel kind of like Tired, yeah, just tired, right? It's just pretty and you tired, just yeah. want to kind of like chill out, um, and then, but you see, like I say, you know, for the time and effort that it takes for you to actually, okay, yeah, it's maybe minute, two minutes to stick something in the microwave and just zing it hot and yeah. eat it, mm-hmm. but maybe you need to kind of like look at 
that option or that process uh, in a different viewpoint. Yeah. I.e., right, okay, I haven't seen the kids all day, right? Yeah. And this is something that Yolanda, uh, sorry, not Yolanda, Linda pointed to, right? Which is actually, you know, involve the children. You know, get them into the kitchen. Can you help me out? You know, get this out of the pantry. Mm-hmm. Get, the, you know, the pots and pans out. Let's make something, yeah? Let's make a pizza, mm-hmm. right? What's pizza? It's just flour, water, Mix it, Mix it yeah. make a Flat kind of base, out, yeah. and then, yeah, what have we got in the fridge? Okay, we've got some kind of like chicken, we've got some leftover veg, we've got some tomatoes, blah, blah, blah. Chuck it on there. Pizza's done. Pizza's yeah. done, right? And then you've kind of like, actually, as a parent, you've kind of, you've got, you know, you've hit two, two birds with one stone, right? You've done a bit of bonding mm-hmm. yeah. with the kids. Yeah. You know, whilst you're actually uh, cooking the meal, you're like asking them, so how did your day go? Yeah. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I had a really crap day because, you know, I don't know, you know X, <laughs> X amount of employees or my boss had a go at me. Yeah. It's a way of unwinding. unwinding it's a way of yeah. kind of like bonding with the family. And then at the end of it, you'll, you'll have a meal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a win-win. That's the only problem is they want to play the video games. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is like uh, Cooking Mama, right? So Cooking Mama uh, is, is, that, is that game, I suppose. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. we, we, we need to... I suppose make that uh, that change in ourselves. True. So uh, uh, yeah, that is the case. So when we talk about, uh, I mean, what is the actual effect of obesity and kids mentally? I mean, if we talk about uh, you know uh, mentally, uh, so one study found that adults with excess weight had um, fifty-five. Uh, percent higher risk of developing depression over their lifetime compared to the people that did not struggle with obesity. Now, it's a huge, uh, it's, a, um, it's a massive number of people, you know, 55 um, percent uh, of people are high risk on developing depression. Now, I think one reason um, of depression is because um, people tend to pick up on those people who are obese, obese or mm-hmm. overweight. And it's like a kind of, you know, body shaming. Yeah. It's kind of body shaming that you know if yeah, body shaming, yeah. yeah so people are tend to pick up on the uh, the people who are mm. you know overweight and um, yeah and that's uh, that's the mental yeah, side of yeah. it but to talk more about this mm-hmm. we're joined by our next guest Yolanda Hancock now Dr Yolanda Hancock is a pediatrician and a health and wellness expert who has offers a comprehensive virtual platform to provide a holistic approach to health peace and blessings be upon you Yolanda thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Thank you for having me. So we're talking about obesity, Yolanda. Now, being obese can limit people from, I suppose, participating in uh, you know some of the activities that they once enjoyed. Um, and I suppose this would lead uh, possibly to depression and anxiety. I mean, how can this be avoided for a person you know, struggling with their weight? You know, obesity by itself doesn't necessarily limit people from enjoying activities that they enjoy. We see people across the weight spectrum being able to engage in activities that we had assumed otherwise they could not. So yoga, ballet, et cetera. There's a wonderful um, black woman here in the United States, Jessamine Stanley. She's a perfect example of this in terms of her ability to um, engage in a very meaningful way in terms of yoga practice. There's a plus-size ballerina by the name of Lizzie Howell, Mm -hmm. um, Lizzo. Clearly, across the globe is a perfect example of how big girls are living their best lives. And it doesn't mean that we don't see a link between obesity and some limitations, whether it be um, anatomical mm-hmm. because of issues with joints. 
and those sorts of things. We certainly see that in the pediatric population, uh, children having some limitations in terms of the physical activity that they can enjoy. Um, even for some of my patients, when it comes to clothing size, being able to go to some of these retail establishments and find clothes that are developmentally appropriate for our patient population, but specifically to the question that was asked earlier about uh, links between obesity and depression and anxiety, we clearly see it. It's actually, Mm -hmm. uh, the data shows a bi-directional relationship between depression and obesity. As was previously stated, individuals dealing with obesity, and we usually don't describe people as obese. Obesity is a medical diagnosis, so it's a person having obesity as opposed to saying an obese person. Um, Mm -hmm. People who have obesity, have a 55% increased risk of depression, as mentioned earlier. But the flip side is that the people who have depression also have a 58% increase of having obesity. And we know that eating habits increase inflammatory markers, which goes back to the joint issues we were talking about. And with this heightened inflammation that is sometimes associated with having obesity, it can lead to a higher risk of developing depression simply because it may be painful mm-hmm. for them to be able to engage in activities that they once found joyful. I have clients, I see both adults and children, and I have clients who want to travel with their spouses. They want to go on the beach, but they don't want to take their shirts off, not Mm -hmm. only because of their own body image, but to the point that was made earlier, the stigma that's associated with Mm -hmm. it. We also know that food drives mood. So Mm -hmm. food choice can either facilitate stable mood or it can facilitate a mood of anxiety or depression. And I would definitely say in the pediatric population, stigma plays an incredible role when it comes to obesity directly impacting mood. We saw a study about eight years ago mm-hmm. where children were asked to rate their lives in terms of quality of life. Children dealing with obesity rated their lives as lower than children who had cancer who were actively receiving chemotherapy. Wow. That's how much obesity can affect a child's mood and mental health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Yolanda, childhood obesity rates, you know, we have seen in COVID and in pandemic, they have skyrocketed since the you know pandemic. What are the main causes of childhood obesity? This is an excellent question. For the first time ever, mm-hmm. more than one in five American kids is obese. Wow. And this is up from one in six just in 2016 and up from less than one in 10 just three decades ago. Um, we did a recent study here looking at children between the ages of 2 and 19, and it found that the rate of body mass index increased nearly doubled during the COVID-19 pandemic. And we've seen this across the globe, not just in the United States, although we certainly in the developed world lead in terms of our numbers. Um, BMI among children across the globe is observed to significantly increase across um, the pandemic time period, particularly among children of color, particularly black and, and Latino children, mm-hmm. with the highest risk of developing childhood obesity. But we also see rates increasing across socioeconomic levels. A lot of times people assume that in lower socioeconomic uh, communities, rates of obesity are what they are because they can't necessarily afford the food. Mm-hmm. But we also see in other parts of the world, obesity rates skyrocketing in affluent communities, particularly within that pediatric population. And it's really multifactorial. It's consumption of high-calorie, nutrient-poor food during the pandemic. Clearly, we saw this before, and we're certainly seeing it afterwards. But there was a heightened amount of high, highly caloric, nutrient-poor foods with a lot of food choice really being dictated during the pandemic. It was, a base, it was based on convenience because parents were working from home, and it's hard to be a person working from home and a mother or father 
and a teacher because a lot of us served in all of those roles simultaneously, and it was really hard to turn off because our workplaces expected us to actually work longer and harder in the middle of the pandemic, but it also linked to stress. I don't know about you guys, but over the past few years, this has been incredibly stressful yeah, for us as adults. And imagine being five That's or been six. a problem. Yeah, the stress of it. Yeah, all. and dealing with that. That, yeah. that. And stress drives eating, right? Cortisol yeah. is released. It drops blood sugar down. The brain says we need more sugar. And that's what we end up doing. Here mm. in America, American kids consume 81 grams of sugar a day wow. on average. That's, equaling uh, over 60 pounds, 65 pounds of sugar per year. Oh, that's quite year. unhealthy. Thinking of it this way, it's children investing over 30 gallons of added sugary uh, sugar from beverages. Mm-hmm. That's enough to fill a bathtub. So, wow. Yolanda, do you reckon that if there is government intervention in the form of sugar tax on fast food to help tackle the obesity, would that help? It definitely would help. It really just depends on the legislation. There's some excellent examples of government intervention here in the United States. The D.C. Healthy Schools Act, which put out specific nutrition recommendations and requirements for breakfast and lunch. It also put out specific physical activity requirements because that's the other reason why we've seen significant weight gain during the pandemic. The uh, Both Prince George's County and Montgomery County in my home state or my current state of Maryland passed the kids' meal bill. And what that does is it puts requirements for fast food establishments to provide healthier options for families to make the healthy option the default option, but to also require at least one of the meals to meet the USDA guidelines. But when you think about specific taxes, sales tax on sugary drinks don't really affect behavior much. Once someone has committed to making the purchase and the increased cost is at the checkout, that's not going to change behavior. The price Mm. has to really change right there on the shelf Mm. as they're looking at the menu, not at the cash register. And we know that we have seen from this work across the globe that sugary drink consumption, as an example, has reduced from some, some, in some areas from 49 to 15%. That mm. is a huge amount of impact from one single piece of legislation. So, Yolanda, I mean, you made the point that actually obesity is uh, <clears throat> affecting not just you know uh, the poor, but uh, it's actually affecting affluent parts of society as well. Mm-hmm. In the de- <clears throat> excuse me, in the developed world, but you know, isn't it still uh, more of an or has more of an impact on uh, the poorer socio-demographic of each you know each country? You're talking about the U.S. We're talking about the U.K. I mean, it's just so much easier, I suppose, to get a hold of processed foods. I mean, it's, it's cheaper mm-hmm. uh, versus getting, you know, uh, organic whole foods. So isn't this just really, a, you know, a side effect of or obesity, a side effect of, you know, poverty? It's a combination. We know that obesity is multifactorial, but ready access to fast food, sugary drinks and large portions of food, which is clearly one of the problems we have in the United States. Um, those are all part of the problem. Poverty certainly uh, mm-hmm. impacts that in impoverished areas. Areas you have a higher concentration of fast food establishments. You have decreased access to healthier food foods. As an example, in Washington D.C., in Ward Three, which is one of the most, the smallest populated wards in the District of Columbia, the nation's capital, there are 16 grocery stores. Mm-hmm. That's one grocery store for every 9,000 residents. Right. In both Ward 7 and 8, which have concentrated areas of poverty, they have three grocery stores. Wow. That's one grocery store for every 90,000 residents. Factor of 10. Not only is there a poverty in terms of number, 
But there's also policy in terms of quality. There are inequities in what is provided. There are inequities in terms of price. And to your point, we end up not having just food deserts, but food swaps, where I used to see patients in D.C., you'd have to walk through a gauntlet of fast food establishments. There's mm-hmm. six of them on four different street corners. For parents, it's catch a bus or two to go grocery shopping. I'll yeah. walk down the street where I can get for $10 food that I know my children are going to eat. Yeah. So to your point, yes, poverty is certainly, certainly one of the social determinants that facilitates obesity, but we also see obesity in places like the UAE, mm-hmm. where you're not necessarily seeing these same economic disparities. Mm, exactly. Well, um, Yolanda Hancock, thank you very much for joining us on the Drive Time Show this afternoon and sharing, uh, sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at voiceofislam.co.uk. So, you know, guys, how can we uh, combat obesity in a healthy way from an Islamic perspective? Um, I think, you know, Islam has made life easy to navigate and make uh, things in our life more uh, manageable. Now, people use various ways to reach out their body, mind and soul. Some people may be, you know, they do meditation some people go to gym and you know even some people uh, do exercise for their mental and uh, physical you know for, for betterment of their medical and physical um, health. health but you know if if you look at uh, the uh, a muslim's daily routine mm-hmm. then uh, you know muslim uh, muslims are uh, abide to um, do the five daily prayers mm-hmm. and it, it itself obviously it has spiritual benefit as well but it um, the prayer is itself is you can have uh, a form of exercise as well. So, mm-hmm. because uh, um, obviously um, uh, the salat is um, involved uh, with the various form of you know uh, motions and exercise. So, if you do salat regularly five times a day, it can improve your you know blood mm-hmm. circulation, improve your di- digestion, cardiovascular health, mm-hmm. and then also uh, in Islam we do fasting is one of the over you know five pillars of Islam, mm-hmm. and uh, through that uh, you can recharge your body. Uh, has, um, and spiritual energy. Mm. And so, I think, I think, yeah, with that being one of the pillars of uh, Islam, our faith, mm-hmm. fasting uh, during the month of Ramadan, uh, as prescribed for us as Muslims. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's trending now because yeah. people are intermittent fasting. Absolutely. So that's just a, a, a kind of like yeah, they're taking a good idea, really. Absolutely. So the thing uh, is, Dali, um just to build on from uh, Imran's. Uh, sentiments on what Islam basically how it helps us in mm-hmm. regards to keeping us uh, fit um, when you discuss Salat itself now Salat is a way of life okay mm-hmm. it's um, and it's not just you know a casual way of life it's a very demanding way of life mm-hmm. you have to be switched on mm-hmm. 24-7 um Obviously, you go to sleep at times as well. There are those who prefer to pray way more in terms of the tahajjud as well. They want to mm-hmm. go. They want to try their best to gain as near as they can to God Almighty by doing extra hard work. Mm-hmm. So this uh, this concept of it, you know, this demanding concept of the salat and you know this constant requirement of always remembering God mm-hmm. is 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 keeping you alert all the time. It's keeping mm-hmm. you active all the time. Um, you know, there are days where you hardly get back to work for a bit mm-hmm. and then it's time for the next pr- prayer. You know, mm-hmm. you're always switched on. When are you going to fit in your rest as well? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that really helps in regards mm-hmm. to keeping you active. Um, in regards to the fasting aspect as well, um, I think that the fasting itself is uh, very good. In uh, I'm not sure how many people genuinely lose. If you, if you want to say, look, it, it, is it used for weight mm-hmm. loss? I don't think it is personally. Mm-hmm. 
um, because the timings vary so much in mm. different parts mm-hmm. of the world. You know, for instance, in England, you're doing iftari at 9.15, 9.10 sometimes. Yeah. And, and it just sit. depends on how you kind of open your fast. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, some people, they've got, they've got tables booked in uh, <laughs> Nawab or, yeah, you know, these best restaurants, whatever. Yeah. And then they've got Seri at mm-hmm. three o'clock. Yeah. So you've got to be very careful of, you know, you can but say, I suppose, okay, yeah, yeah, but then, then again, you know, taking your point as to if you use prayer yeah. as your structure, your exactly. five daily prayers, right? Then I think it's more about time management there. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So you're structured in that way of thinking. And then, you know, you don't tend to... And I'll tell you one thing, right? The older you get, the less you can consume. Exactly. Uh, that's yeah. the truth, right? <laughs> yeah. But we're joined by our last guest of the day regarding this uh, this this topic of obesity. And we're joined by Akeem Aflik, who is an author who studied psychology and has a background in counselling and holistic health. Peace and blessings be upon you, Akeem. Thank you for joining us on The Drive Time Show. And thank you guys for having me as well. So we're talking about obesity. Now, how can we, if if we can, uh, rectify obesity in young adults from a psychological perspective? Well, from a psychological perspective, I would say it's best to figure out what's the, the root cause within the person's mind. Because obesity doesn't just occur by itself. Mm-hmm. It tends to be the result of, of course, overeating. But mm. that tends to be, you know, a form of compensation for trauma, anxiety, depression, or just stress. Mm-hmm. So I would mm-hmm. definitely look at it in the sense of speaking to the person, figure out when did they start um, having the habits that would lead to obesity, mm. and how can we actually figure out what the trigger is and then address it. Once we address it, um, then we give them a particular way to reprogram their subconscious mind um, so as to make things flow a lot easier for them. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if it's a case where it's trauma, we show them how they can use this trauma as fuel to achieve their goals and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Akeem, uh, with the constant change in society, you know, the word obesity can be you know, triggering for some people. Why? Why is that? Well, the the thing is, in in our current society, um, people are a lot more ob- uh, subjective, rather. Mm-hmm. And and in this in these days, we have what you call uh, cancel culture, where you see yeah. <laughs> where you see a There's lot of those terminologies came a cancel culture. <laughs> it's terrible. Right, right. Yeah. And you see where people once they can find someone, a group, or even just an article to support your viewpoint, mm-hmm. then it becomes an issue. But obesity within itself is a medical term, you know. So the, the, the fact that it can be, you know, viewed wrongly by people is really a matter, a matter of not being objective and um, really just viewing it outside of its, its own realms, really. Mm-hmm. So, Akeem, what is the... Um correlation between obesity and depression we kind of discussed this quite a lot last week as well or a few weeks ago so we're very interested in this question right um there's a strong very strong correlation between obesity and depression um oftentimes you will find that depression is either the cause or a resultant factor of of obesity meaning that people will will start to overeat and not take um, as much care of themselves if they are depressed as a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it can also be that, say, a person um, 
is overeating because of stress and not necessarily depression. The, the, the particular responses they may get from their peer groups, their peer groups rather, in regards to, you know, their changing weight and so on, it can result in them actually becoming depressed because of how people start to view them. So it can be on either side of the spectrum, whether as a cause or a resultant factor, but it's strongly correlated. Mm-hmm. So, Akeem, with that in mind, I mean, can losing weight and actually com- overcoming uh, being overweight or obese ultimately help resolve you know, any associated psychological problems, uh, whether they be uh, a cause or effect? Most definitely. You see, um, I, well, I was just um, listening to you guys just before I came on, and I, result, I, I realized that you guys were also speaking about the spiritual component in mm-hmm. Islam. Well, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not Muslim, so I can't speak on that, but there is uh, uh, a particular, what, what do you call it? There's an interaction between mind, body, and spirit. If mm-hmm. you, I don't know if you call it spirit um, or just the breath of life, mm-hmm. but there's an interaction and they all depend on each other. So if you change your your physical, if you are able to exercise and you are able to improve your physical well-being, it ultimately will improve your mental well-being as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically, that is the, I suppose, holistic viewpoint. And and it, holistic it, it actually ties exactly. in. It also ties in with what the Prophet sallam said that a strong Muslim is actually a, a, a healthier, Muslim. a healthier Muslim. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, you improve yourself. Improving, uh, it also improves your spirituality in that mm, sense. Excellent. Well, Akeem, well, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Oh, thank you as well. And it's thank been a pleasure you. as well. Thank you. Have a good day. You as well. Thank okay. you. 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. So in conclusion, guys, I mean, you know, we've, we've spoken about obesity and I'd like to draw, I suppose, the listeners' attention to you know that Islamic way because you know we are voice of Islam. I mean, how can we? Because it is that trend now, yeah. Not just in this country. We've spoken to uh, several of our guests who are from the U.S. as well. It's a global trend, and unfortunately, there have been factors which have beyond control, i.e., the pandemic. It has created a sedentary lifestyle. Or, had created that sedentary lifestyle and I suppose the perfect environment to access, you know, these kind of like uh, calorie-dense foods, you know, that convenience of it. So how can we, you know, break that, break that, uh, that link now? Absolutely. I think um, um, for, for all of, um, like we believe that Holy Quran is a guideline for every Muslim. Uh, so in the, there's a verse of the Holy Quran that mm-hmm. And eat and drink, but exceed not the bounds. I think this is the, this is the um, focal point of, uh, you know, if we can, uh, if we can moderate um, our life, then I think um, we will be good to go and exceed not the bounds means that one should not overeat. Mm-hmm. The second mean is that one should always uh, use this. One should not um, use always the same kind of food. There should mm-hmm. be variety in the diet. Mm-hmm. So it can, you know, help the metabolic system 
to um, mm. to, to run a fishing I think that's what Linda was saying initially. Yeah. You have yeah. a varied diet, yeah. you know, eat all those things. How about you, Rana? Yeah, in terms of the um, varied diet sense, uh, I've also been experiencing a lot of like, um, I, I try to um, uh, keep myself at a certain body weight as well. And mm. I, from my own experience, I could say that, look, uh, if you do not vary it, uh, the same things do become boring and then you just mm-hmm. want to give up on them and mm-hmm. you want to go back to your old ways mm-hmm. so um yeah it also is very much in 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 line with you mm-hmm. know do not uh, bring some sort of variation uh, do not uh, exceed it um and i would also say look um everyone is different you can't mm-hmm. say uh, this is the right amount of portion for everyone so mm-hmm. everyone needs to uh, in this, in line with this verse of the Holy Quran, everyone mm. needs to work out what is best for them, and what is exceeding for them, and what is too less for them as well. So mm, that's yeah, no, the important. Yeah, well said, guys. I mean, I think that's in general what we hope. I mean, for us and for our kids as well, right? If you're a parent, and I think something that uh, Yolanda oh, and actually Linda were saying uh, that kids mimic their parents they follow yeah. by example mm-hmm. so if they see you reaching for i don't know the crisps the the sugary drinks yeah. uh the ice cream then you know what you can't discipline them right well, it's, it's it's actually a really interesting question because uh, i i i've kind of observed that kids do have their own opinion as well so mm-hmm. what we uh, are trying to do with uh, my son, for instance, uh, he's one. He's four, 13 months. Right. And we, me and my my missus, we made this decision that you know what, we're not going to uh, start him on with the typical South Asian diet. We're going to keep him as clean <laughs> of it as possible because yeah. we listen. We we listen to a lot, a lot of interviews by sportsmen, especially South mm-hmm. Asian sportsmen, mm-hmm. and they are very clear that look, the South Asian diet isn't going to get you to that you know peak condition body mm-hmm. that you require mm-hmm. as an athlete. Now, uh, it's very difficult to somehow, you know, tell him that you can't have the food that we're having. Thir- uh, sorry, you said 13, 13 months. 13, 13 months. months. Yeah, 13 you, months. You have visions of him becoming Vi- a top athlete. Well, we, we have Already. visions of at least having him do the basics straight right, away. Okay, the okay, basics, no, that's yeah. the thing. If, you, if, you, if he gets used to it, <laughs> fine. It's gonna no, be but very... I, think, I think you're right, yeah, yeah. because they, you know, children, even at that young age, that tender age, yeah. can be trained, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. If they're used to something or they have a... You know, my, my, my boys have never had sugar in their tea. Yeah. Believe, believe me, Talib, they have yeah. such an opinion that, you yeah. know what, no, 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 I'm going to have what you're having. So you, yeah. you, it's 100% correct. We have okay. to change as parents. We're going to the 5 o'clock news. Please join us after the 5 o'clock news where we'll be approaching the economy in 2023. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show. Or well, Monday's, I should say, edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, and uh, uh, Imra, uh, Imam Imran Akram, Imam uh, Rana, uh, Rana Rahman as well. So we've got a full studio. Uh, we've just tackled obesity, uh, not amongst ourselves, but the issue of obesity, and we've looked at that. And it, it is, you know, jokes apart, uh, 
you know, very, very serious issue amongst not just the youth, but amongst you know, adults. And, True. you know, we were just uh, concluding at the end of that, that actually, I was thinking personally, actually, it's another struggle, right? Another yeah. jihad. You know, we need to just, and something that you said, Rana, you know, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him. You know, a healthy, physically healthy Muslim. Yeah, is a spiritually healthy yeah. Muslim. But, you know, without further ado, let's move on to the second, uh, the second hour, which is we'll be dealing with, oh, the economy. Oh, I was trying to avoid it, right? But anyway, the economy in 2023. So, uh, Rana, kick us off. Yeah, as we start our new year, the economic future does not seem to hold much promise for us in the coming months. The UK is going through workers, uh, workers' strike across multiple sectors of the economy as they are um, as they ask to be treated fairly experts suggest that strikes are costing the economy massively while inflation is still on the rise with weak with weak business investments and productivity the uk is still the only country among the g7 countries uh, the g7 economies that has not bounced back after the the pandemic so join us as we discuss challenges to our economy what the road of recovery looks like for us, including what the government has to offer as a solution. We'll be sure to shed uh, light on this subject through an Islamic teachings and guidance uh, regarding economic prosperity and responsibility of the government regarding mm. public well-being. Mm. I mean, and that's the thing, Imran. Yeah, mm. just give us a, just give us a brief precy on the strikes, because I mean, even today we're getting strikes. Mm. Uh, if you've been in the UK over Christmas, you know that from I believe the 14th of December through till the end of the year. So that's what uh, by my bad kind of calculation, 17 days, 17 days until the end of last year, mm -hmm. there was a strike. Um, whether it be the nurses, whether it be uh, trains, whether it be ambulance, dri uh, ambulance uh, drivers, even the fire brigade, yeah. right? So all aspects of the public sector, sector are striking. So just give us a, yeah. a precy so, exactly so, what that means to us. Now. So obviously, you know, strikes, it, it uh, impacted us over economy, you know, very badly. And we went through consecutive days of shut, um, shutdowns on the rail system as the worker protested over working condition and pay. The Guardian reports that the strikes caused an enormous problem as they delayed the return to work and recovery for the city center. Now, uh, Network Railway has estimated the um, the cost of rail strikes since the dispute started last year had now passed four hundred million pound in lost ticket revenue. It's been reported that the financial impact of train strikes on the sector as was uh, was then accepted, and business facing rising bill, uh, you know, rising energy bills and inflation can result uh, can result in business uh, failure. Now, Richard. Um, Richard um, Bogg, the chief executive of London uh, Chamber of Commerce and Industry, explains ongoing strikes impacting on um, everyday business. Many of the hardest hit, um, many of the hardest hit are small um, firms with majority of the employee across the country and much of NHS staff and ambulance worker and nurses also walk out. Now, the, 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 if, if I just quickly sum up all of these, from last year June, you know, strikes have become uh, very much, you know, regular feature of or of British mm -hmm. weather, um, winter, and whether it goes to teachers, uh, fire brigade, um, railway system, 
everyone is on strike. Um, I was coming uh, from Marrakesh um, mm-hmm. two weeks ago, and uh, uh, there was literally no staff on the airport, and there was huge lines, mm-hmm. and they were on the strike as well. And only police are not on the strike because they are not allowed by law to mm-hmm. go on, on the strike. Well, so. <laughs> I don't know, because like I, I believe like today, uh, Rishi Sunak is actually trying the anti-strike bill, mm-hmm. uh, whereby um, essential services have to provide a limited uh, service. So that's mm-hmm. whether it's the health service, the NHS, um, fire brigades, emergency mm-hmm. uh, response services. And, you know, I'm, I've got to say, I'm, I'm in two, yeah, I'm, I'm torn, really, mm-hmm. right? Because it's the state of affairs that, the, you know, this, 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 this country has got itself into yeah. currently, right? Uh, that, you know, instead, I mean, I remember at the height of the pandemic, the government um, asked us to applaud the health service, health service yeah. on our doorsteps. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, maybe I'm being a bit blasé, but, you know, when we can waste in the tune of seven billion, right, in wasted PPE and then having to pay to actually store that wasted PPE in the hundreds of millions. Mm -hmm. And now finally destroying that PPE to the tune of another couple of billion. So when you're talking about these astronomical figures that the Mm -hmm. government has wasted, then wouldn't have it been better to actually give that in terms of you know money towards nurses instead of giving them a clap, give them a pay rise. But <laughs> hey, I don't want to get political here. <laughs> so we're, we're actually just, uh, we who we can get political. We've got our first guest of today regarding this, who is uh, Chris Shaw, who is a political expert. Peace and blessings be upon you, Chris. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show this afternoon. Good, good afternoon, and thank you very much indeed for having me. I hope you can hear me well. I, I do apologise. I'm slightly hampered. I'm, I'm actually parked in a service station in my car at the moment, so I'm, I'm awfully sorry about that, but as long as you can hear me. Okay. No, you're coming in uh, loud and clear, Chris, <laughs> loud and clear. Uh, so we're talking about the economy and the outlook for the economy, the UK economy in 2023. I mean, high inflation, weaker economic growth. I mean, where are we heading? Is it just a well, extrapolation of the end of last year, or can we look to better things? Um, I'd, I'd like to think that we can look to better things, but I'm not sure that we can under the present administration. I mean, um, I was I was listening to to your your, your previous discussion, and I, I do feel you know very very much the same that the government has brought this rather upon itself. Um, high inflation has been you know sort of caused in, in part at least by, by leaving the, the EU, of course, and the, the difficulties with, with Brexit and the ongoing crises that, uh, that surround that. Weaker economic growth hasn't, you know, sort of, you know, been been mitigated at all. So I do feel that, you know, we're almost heading for for a repeat of the 1970s, which I, wow. I remember as a as a young child yeah, when I we, we had our well. stagflation. Yeah, I mean the winter of discontent, 1977. The, In, I, indeed, absolutely. I mean, I remember there being uh, the the streets were lined with uh, rubbish because the refuse collectors didn't collect it. We had yeah. green goddesses, which were the uh, army fire brigade. 
Um, yes, so, yeah, good things to look forward to. We, think... we, we, we did indeed, and, and, in, and in fact, you, you mentioned the Green Goddesses. I was thinking exactly that vision because I remember as a schoolboy watching them trundle along the uh, along the, the road mm-hmm. at a, a very slow pace. Um, mm. And, of course, there is the news today that, they, that the firemen have, have again, um, opted and, and voted to strike. Mm. So I fear that we will have you know, sort of the, the same sort of scenario on the streets once again. Wow. Yeah. So, Chris, um, uh, we were talking about uh, previously about the strikes, and everyone seem to you know uh, get on the strikes how do you see these you know uh, these industrial strikes and what do you what the government should do about these strikes I think the, the first thing the government should do is, is get around the table with those professional people who have been stretched beyond um, all bounds. We are talking earlier about, about the nurses, of course, and it's fine clapping for nurses, clapping for carers, as we all did during the pandemic, but um, you know, it certainly doesn't help from the, from the point of view of you know, then not providing them with their, with their just rewards. And they have seen their real-term um, income you know, fall over the last you know, sort of decade or so on the basis that you know, any any um, additional funding that they've received has not kept pace with inflation. Mm. And, you know, the, 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 there's that. Of course, now, Gillian, Gillian Keegan, who is the Education Secretary, is, is, is again being accused by the teachers of not getting around the negotiation table. Mm-hmm. So the thing to do is, is to talk and keep the lines of communication open. Mm. But then, Chris, why do you think that this is a strategy of the incumbent government then? Is it just a you know, that, um, you know, stick your head in the sand and hope that it all blows away uh, kind of strategy, I think, which is employed by one of the previous uh, prime ministers, uh, you know, Mr. Boris Johnson. recently applied as well as we were discussing before. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. um, I mean, I just don't understand it. Just you need to negotiate. I mean, what, what is ACAS for? Uh, well, indeed, absolutely, because you know, so there it is, advisory, you know, arbitration, conciliation, of course. Mm-hmm. So, so absolutely. But funny, funny that you should mention Boris Johnson because he may not be quite in public like, although he, he does look as though he's staging a comeback and he's been, you know, sort of accusing Mr. Putin of trying to blow him up, hasn't he? Which is something very, very interesting. And all, all designed, of course, as we know, quite cynically to keep Boris Johnson in the public eye. Mm. But Having said that, I do think that, you know, 30, 13 years, as it were, it's not a new administration, it's 13 years yeah. of the Conservative government continuation. And you know, so in that respect, I do see that we do have a continuity government with, you know, to, well, to, Theresa May, then Boris Johnson, and then, of course, you know, very, very briefly Liz Truss, and now Rishi Sunak. And, you know, so I do feel that they are all tainted by the same things. I also feel that, that Rishi Sunak perhaps is, is showing his political naivety in his inability to 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 actually keep 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 talking to to his his backbench party members and mm-hmm. to tell them rather than ask them what to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so chris yeah. what will be the consequences of increasing the wages um above the inflation rate um well i i i'd like to say that it would mean you know sort of less poverty more 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 money in people's pockets which can be used for essential things such as heating and and eating as well and you know people not being reliant upon you know sort of largesse of others and and food banks of course it won't cause significant inflation i can assure that inflation that we're seeing at the moment has been more you know sort of um, supply side inflation as in the inflation of raw materials and commodity prices not you know demand led and it would be erroneous for for government to claim that it would cause increased demand which would fuel inflation
But then, Chris, that is the government line currently. I mean, you've got round upon round of cabinet ministers, Steve Barclay, uh, to, uh, you know, uh, I think the most latest, saying that actually if we do uh, succumb and give a wage increase uh, to the nurses, that, you know, wage inflation, that in itself will create a spiral of inflation. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that that's economically illiterate um, on okay. the on the basis, and, and, and most most you know sort of uh, virtuous economists would say the same as well. That all, all it does is mean that people can can eat and people can keep themselves warm mm-hmm. and buy essentials. It doesn't mean to say that they'll be splashing out on luxuries, um, you know, sort of like you know, sort of, you know many high earners, you know, such as such as bankers would you know potentially do, um, which is where inflation you know, sort of, you know is generally fueled. So it's more about you know sort of, you know um, being able to buy the uh, buy the essentials, and of course that then keeps the economy going because it does sort of help with you know sort of you know um, uh, sandwich shops, you know, simple you know basic Close shops, um, you know, sort of utilities to to, to continue to be supplied and so on as well. Mm. I mean, and then why is it then, Chris? Yeah, uh, I mean, I've got a question about preventing higher inflation. Uh, my basic economics is just saying that actually the government can't do that anyway because it's in the realms, effectively, of the Bank of England, right? Uh, as a fiscal tool, uh, the interest yes. rates, yeah, to actually try to. Uh, try to manage or control intra- uh, sorry in the rate of inflation the cpi so if that is in itself uh, in theory the bank of england is an autonomous body uh, not under government persuasion or or influence then you know i don't understand why then therefore the government is still pursuing this this line that you know we cannot increase wages um it just doesn't seem to have any sense to me. It, it doesn't, and you're absolutely right. I mean, um, Gordon Brown was the one that, of course, trumpeted the the independence of the, of the Bank of England mm-hmm. in, in in setting you know, sort of um, interest rates and so on. Um, I've got to be honest that I, I'm I'm ever so slightly dubious because the, but the Bank of England, you know, sort of the, the the governors are you know the, the governor is appointed you know, sort of, you know um, externally, of course. The government has a say in that. Um, government also has a say in the economic policy of the day. So the, the Bank of England does play catch up um, from the point of view of, of setting um, interest rates. But of course, if the Bank of England you know, sort of sets you know, sort of interest rates you know, sort of ever higher as inflation continues to, to spiral, then what that does is it dampens demand. It doesn't mm-hmm. sort of, um, you know, sort of have, the, have the negative effect in terms of supply-side inflation. So all it will do is create, an, create a recession mm-hmm. rather than you know, sort of, um, cause, um, cause inflation to fall. Mm-hmm. And, and why, why is it not the case that not just the government, uh, even I suppose the opposition just are not talking about the white elephant in the room. I mean, and I mean Brexit, right? Yes. So it, that has to have some kind of effect. Uh, well, it has personally, I think, had an effect since 2016 uh, on, let's say, just investment in the UK. Um, you know, it's gone down. But, you know, why, why upon why are we not talking about the detrimental effect of Brexit on the economy? Well, th- this is the thing. I, I, I absolutely agree. And in fact, the, the, the curious thing is that I, I've, I've noted that, that some Conservative MPs are now talking about, you know, sort of the, the, the elephant in the room of Brexit and the, the negativity and maybe perhaps 
even the inevitability of rejoining the single market. You know, if we're if we're allowed in, as it were, from um, from the EU's perspective. Um, whilst the the Labour Party, who you would have imagined is more pro EU yeah. at the moment, is not doing. And Keir Starmer is, is playing a very very careful game, a very cautious game, mm. not to upset the, the the Red Wall voters who voted for Boris Johnson on the basis that he would get Brexit done. Mm-hmm. The, the the problem I'm seeing is that the um, the, the 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 Red Wall um, Leave voters are ever so dwindling at the moment. So in that respect, then really we ought to be you know sort of trying to educate the the, the public as to the negative effects of, of Brexit. I think they're already starting to do anyway. But mm-hmm. you know sort of, certainly the Labour Party you need know, to sort of educate the public to do to understand that and then appreciate that in actual fact we are not global Britain as we thought we are. We are you know sort of just a bridge between the United States and the rest of Europe. <laughs> and we ought to act like one. <laughs> yeah exactly. Well on that note Chris, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon on the Drive Time Show. Thank you very much for joining us. As always. Thank you very Thank much you. indeed. Thank you. 0208 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And, you know, I think uh, what highlights, you know, the, our, our buoyant economy, and I say that tongue in cheek, mm-hmm. is one of the biggest, or actually, which presents a, a, a small uh, fraction of, you know, the GDP of the UK. Uh, the fishing industry has totally been decimated now because Absolutely. of Brexit. Mm-hmm. And when we say uh, a small fraction, it, I think it's something in the hundreds of millions that it uh, contributes to the economy. But can you imagine when all these little bits are being decimated, you can't trade. I mean, your biggest trading partner is just across the channel, exactly. right? And you're putting up barriers with that that trading partner. It just... I don't know. It just doesn't get to me. But I mean, you know, we're on Voice of Islam. You know, what what does the Quran say about the economy? Well, Islam encourages Muslims to distribute wealth. The Holy Quran says, "They ask thee what they shall spend. Say, whatever of good and abundant wealth you spend, should be for parents and near relatives and orphans and the needy and the wayfarer." And whatever good you do, surely Allah knows it perfectly well. So in regards to this verse of the Holy Quran, it pretty much you know, outlines what is the purpose of you know, uh, wealth which God Almighty blesses you with mm-hmm. and uh, how you should uh, give back, um, not necessarily uh, to God Almighty, but Absolutely. giving back in a way that when it's spent, uh, it, it, it becomes a means of rewarding for you. So that's, mm-hmm. the, you know, that's the actual theme of this um, purpose of... Uh, but isn't, but isn't it in line with the second, I suppose, priority for a Muslim? Yeah. First being, you know, to worship God, God and then to worship His creation, to, right? To, to uh, worship and sustain its creation. Yeah. So that's the actual purpose of our. Because in logic, if you love God, it cannot happen that you doesn't love His creature or mm. His, you know, whatever He made. So um, in reality, if you love God, then obviously you're going to love His. Uh, creation as well mm-hmm. so islam um you know very much emphasize on this point that you know whatever wealth you have uh, from god almighty you should you know uh, take care of your brother unfortunate unfortunate or poor brothers and sisters yeah. mm. uh, and i mean i have I've, I've, uh, i'm actually very lucky to uh, be doing uh, a lot of you know translations on darsul qurans mm-hmm. which were done by hazakli and we're pretty much 
doing these verses. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, one thing which he very much emphasized upon was the importance of taking care of your neighbor. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. regardless of how fortunate you are with uh, through wealth, you know, it doesn't matter if your neighbor, if the people around you are not, uh, you know, if they if they haven't got food to eat, for instance. Mm-hmm. So this is, Islam lays a, a massive amount of emphasis on making sure that at least the basic needs and somewhat more are met for everyone uh, before you come into this, uh, you know, this uh, life of, yes, I am a very wealthy person. I am this and that. You, It is your responsibility when you're at that. Or if you are the government itself as well, you have the mm-hmm. uh, the, the pothole, uh, mm-hmm. what would you call it? The pot. Uh, and to distribute, right? So, oh, okay. yeah, no that's pot what. I, uh, sorry, no. the pot. Oh, no, no, no. The <laughs> pot to distribute. <laughs> the pot to distribute. So that needs to be distributed in the way that mm-hmm. everyone is met to at least the basic requirements. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of, and as we've also, um, uh, we will come across as well that there are four, um, you know, basic charters that you need to mm-hmm. uh, fulfill. So, food, shelter, water, and. Um, Clothes, I think. Clothing, Clothing, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So these things have to be met uh, in an Islamic way, sure. uh, in an Islamic government, if, if if possible as well. Absolutely. I mean, and I think yeah, this concept, and it's not just a concept; it's a pillar of Islam, zakat. Yeah. Right. It's the redistribution of asset wealth into into the economy. The economy. Right. Into the so if say for instance, and it's very hard because I would dispute. You know uh, the case that in the Middle East you have uh, Islamic banks yeah. which operate a Sharia yeah. um, kind of like Sharia compliant loan, yeah. Sharia compliant yeah. um, lending system, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because it's just—I I mean, to coin an old phrase, yeah, one man's um, freedom fighter is another man's terrorist, yeah. terrorist right? Terror. Yeah. So it's just your point of um, perspective, really. Yeah. It's your perspective, right? So you know, getting a uh, a bunch of money to buy a, a property, yeah. some would call that, and then having to pay the interest on that. Yeah. Well, if I call the interest rent, yeah. isn't yeah. it the same thing? It's the same thing. So, the same thing. so yeah. when we talk about, and this is for you know, uh, non-Muslim uh, listeners out there, zakat. You know, if there were truly a pure form of zakat, yeah. Uh, that system, that Islamic uh, system uh, globally, then you know what? It reinvigorates economies because why the majority of wealth now, right, in the world globally, it actually resides in less than 1% of the global population. How inequitable is that right it's very much yeah so that cannot be god's aim Mm -hmm. yeah so those people i mean i I think with a a previous host we were were actually trying to get um the head of tesla to call in (laughs) right uh elon to call in because he had made the promise that you know if someone came up with a plan to do away with world poverty right Mm mm-hmm then he would fund it. And this is prior to him buying Twitter for 44 billion, right? <laughs> so I believe uh, the World Food Health Program or the World Food Program did come up with a plan to, you know, actually feed, you know, those subsistence economies, right? And the bill was something in the region of 5 billion. Mm-hmm. So 
Do you see what I mean? It's very much possible if you want me. Yeah. Exactly, right? Yeah. So when you're on that kind of big stack of cash yeah. and you, I suppose, yeah, it's perspective again, waste it on Twitter, <laughs> right? You could have saved the world several times mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, if you talk about, you know, uh, we're talking about previously, you know, Islamic um, way of uh, running system of economy. Mm-hmm. In the uh, economic sphere, the basic concept in Islam is the absolute ownership that that the absolute ownership of everything belongs to God alone mm-hmm. and that is uh, from chapter 2 verse uh, 108 and man is God's vicegerent on earth God has subjected man's service so in their wealth they acknowledge the right of those who ask and those who does not who could not this is the verse uh, from chapter um, 51 verse 20 The object of Islamic economic system is to secure the um, widest and the most beneficent distribution of wealth through ins- uh, institution set up by it and through moral exhortation. Now, wealth must remain in constant circulation among all sections of the community and should not become the monopoly of the rich. That's that's the, you know, uh, you were pointing out towards, mm-hmm. you know, um, that um, all of the world's wealth are just uh, in fewer hands. and the rest of the people are just looking towards them and in regards to this verse that you've just quoted as well it's pretty uh, you know it's pretty straightforward it's like saying well i am the i am god i am the Thank owner you. i am the the, the most supreme mm-hmm. and i'm giving you the chance you man the chance to at least be fair with what whatever wealth you have so you know there's people who need it they're not going to ask for it you mm-hmm. have to you know it's not necessarily yeah, you, have to it, yeah right? you just need to be very sure mm-hmm. that you're you're viewing everything in a fair and complete perspective that look this is how we have to distribute this wealth to make sure that everything is equal not, not necessarily equal but at least equitable uh, equitable mm-hmm. exactly equitable. yeah equitable but i mean look you know in terms of um equitable right so we've talked about the islamic way uh, for zakat and how that will redistribute yeah mm-hmm. you know, wealth i mean effectively we're talking about taxation yeah. effectively mm-hmm. right so uh John Smith when he came up with taxation or the canons of taxation the whole idea was a redistribution right yeah. of wealth from the wealthy to the poor to the poor yeah. right so it's understandable that actually if you are wealthy uh, you you have um because god has endowed us with all different skills yeah skill sets abilities wealth right yeah. so why should it be that those who are better off should not take the the you know, the 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 burden of helping those who are less well off yeah. right isn't there humanity there mm. right but i mean the bringing back the um uh, conversation uh, to this country i mean if we look at the government's reaction and i was trying to kind of probe chris our previous uh, guest mm-hmm. regarding the government's reaction Uh, to the strikes currently that uh, Imran you had uh, you know, kind of like yeah. uh, told us all about so you know Rishi Sunak uh, the prime minister here you know actually plans today to set out details of a new law to actually curb strikes mm-hmm. uh, i mean the times have reported uh, saying ministers intended to make industrial action illegal in some sectors uh, if minimum service levels are not met mm-hmm. now uh, the bbc actually reports that employers would be able to sue unions under planned anti-strike laws 
uh, a strong action you know, has followed because of this. I mean, I, I believe that there will be demonstrations opposite Downing course, Street. Yeah. Uh, I think they've been planned for 6 p.m. Yeah. So if you're not doing anything at 6 p.m., you know where to be. <laughs> um, an opinion piece in The Guardian calls for this anti-strike legislation, an assault on democracy itself. Uh, TUC General uh, Secretary Paul Nowak condemned the proposed bill as wrong, unworkable, and almost certainly illegal. This is an attack on the right to strike, an attack on working people. Uh, in fact, the shadow chancellor, Rachel Reeve, uh, said of Rishi Sunak's government, it's refusing to negotiate with unions over ending these public sector strikes. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's why, I suppose, ultimately, you know, we're looking not at a rosy picture for the economy in 2023. I mean, what are actually the responsibilities of a government? Now, um, in, in if, if we talk about, you know, responsibility of government in, in Islamic perspective, in the book uh, Islam Response to Con Contemporary Issue, His Holiness uh, Mr. Tahir Ahmed, the fourth successor of the Promised Messiah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, noted that Islam establishes a minimum right in the form of four-point character by defining the basic need which a state should procure food, clothing, water and shelter. Now, governments have a national respons responsibility to fulfill the basic need of each member of society so that they don't have to go on the strike. So these are, you know, a responsibility of the government. Yeah, this exactly. is actually, you know, the question here is um, when you when you actually study the strikes, uh, not just this year or previous years or even in historical ways, um, you know, do you, you need to ask the question that is, for instance, from this perspective, are these four things being satisfied? Being satisfied, or mm. if they are, is there a justified uh, reason to strike? Exactly. So it's it's it. You know, the the, the coin fall, falls mm. both ways in this. Um, yeah. It's a very touch. You know, for some people, that there's, there's no. I, I think there's no black and white. There's no black and white. Yeah, there's a very no. big gray area. Yeah. But to talk more about this, we're joined by our next guest of the day, Professor John Fender. Uh, he is an emeritus a professor of macroeconomics at the University of Birmingham. Assalamualaikum. Peace and blessings be upon you, Professor John uh, Fender. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Yes, thank you. So we're talking about the economy 2023 and its prospects here in the UK. How do we ease inflation without pushing the economy into a deep recession? I mean, I suppose that's the you know, a question <laughs> that loads of us are waiting with bated breath uh, mm. upon maybe the Bank of England to come up with a solution as opposed to just increasing interest rates. Yes, um, that's a very important question and uh, quite difficult to answer. Uh, I think I could spend quite a lot of time answering this question. Mm -hmm. Make uh, perhaps uh, three points. Okay. First, I think inflation will ease considerably in um, the coming months. In any case, um, you know, energy prices, world energy prices are easing and uh, once a year on year price increase uh, falls out of the index, there'll be a decrease in inflation for that reason. Um, secondly, um, the body responsible for controlling inflation in the UK is the Bank of England, that mm. is charged with um, keeping inflation at uh, 2%, supposedly. So if the Bank of England is sufficiently determined and shows by its actions and by its words that it's 
determined to get inflation down to um, the target, then that may, uh, by reducing inflationary expectations, which are quite crucial mm -hmm. in generating inflation, that may tend to reduce inflation. But um, thirdly, um, I think the labour market is very tight at the moment. Mm -hmm. It has loosened slightly, and that may be responsible for some of the wage increases we're seeing, particularly in the private sector. If there's a little bit of easing um, as far as that's concerned, if, if the labour market becomes a little looser, then um, I think we could see wages increasing at a lower rate, and mm -hmm. that, um, well... Um, produce a significant fall in inflation. But, you know, as a follow-up to that, Professor, I mean, we've seen, you know, these strikes in the public sector, which we've, um, I suppose, underlined currently. I mean, in most of those, uh, say, for instance, the nurses, they haven't had a real, uh, in terms of real uh, income uh, increase in their wages for yeah, you know, for years. So, you know, for the for the government to purport that in giving them a increase in their wages would add to the inflation, isn't that you know a bit kind of nonsensical? Um, well, it's it, the government has a considerable dilemma. There is mm -hmm. a considerable dilemma as far as this is concerned. Yes, we can sympathise with many of these public sector workers. Yes, they have received a decline in their standards of living in recent years. Um, yes, the services are struggling and um, we probably need um, higher wages to um, you know, prevent a decline in morale, to prevent good workers leaving and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all that's true. But I think what's what the government is thinking is that, you know, if it says um, to a particular group, oh, you're, you're a really special case, you really mm -hmm. a good deal more and give them a large um, pay increase, then what will happen is that a lot of other groups will see this and say, well, they've given uh, a large increase to this uh, group. We're a special case as well. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. yeah. So everyone's going to jump on that bandwagon of wage <laughs> increases then. Special case. So I think that's why the government is pursuing its particular policy at the moment mm -hmm. of tough on public sector pay. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's the rationale. But, you know, I, I think it's a considerable dilemma. And these, you know, workers have, uh, you know, good reason to, to feel aggrieved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Professor John, um, what will be the future of small businesses? I mean, if the f inflation rate is, you know, is going to be persistently going to uh, go Okay. Well, first of all, I don't think inflation is going to be persistent, mm -hmm. if, if by that you mean over the next, I don't know, three or four years. Yeah. All the um, forecasts I've seen suggest that inflation will come down quite considerably. But if inflation is persistent, that means wages going up, followed by prices going up, and wages mm -hmm. go up because prices are going up and so forth and so on, you know, a price wage spiral such as you know we had um, in the 1970s here um, then you know many small businesses will will struggle I mean mm -hmm. small businesses are struggling at the moment with a whole number of different factors and uh, you know a high uh, persistent rate of inflation would be uh, something which would you know make things worse for them mm. so um, how do you see like do you honestly see that there's going to be any changes because of these industrial strikes? Would they bring any change? 
Um, as far as inflation is concerned, um, as I think I was saying, I think the government is taking a fairly tough line as far as public sector pay is concerned. Um, so um, the outcome probably will be, uh, well, um, in, in a few months' time, we'll probably see some uh, settlements of these uh, strikes, but it may be some time we may see some slight acceleration of public sector pay, which is really quite small. Um, so um, I think um, once the strikes are um, uh, over, or many of the strikes are over, hopefully hopefully we're not going to have strikes taking place all, all the time, continually through the year, we will see uh, a fall in um, in inflation but you know i think we're in for um you know a pretty a pretty miserable time you mm. know with quite a lot of uh, disruption uh, for several months to come i i don't see any sort of speedy resolution of these uh, disputes mm. i mean i suppose so then you know the government uh, on versus the unions en masse is like some big game of poker. It's like a high-stakes poker. It's, uh, you know, who's going to fold first, effectively? I suppose that's that's one way of that's one way of looking at it, yes. Mm. So, I mean, in, in terms of that, though, I mean, would it not have, um, I suppose it's, it's quite easy to say in hindsight, but what would be, if you were to hazard a guess, the you know, economic in terms of monetary uh, figure, right? If there could be one uh, effect of these strikes on the economy uh, versus having you know settled these disputes earlier. Oh uh, well, the effect on the economy is certainly not not favourable. Mm -hmm. uh, strikes cause uh, you know a considerable amount of disruption and affect many businesses. You know, just take one example, um, you know, Royal Mail strikes. Um, many uh, businesses are dependent on, you know, the mail uh, to deliver products and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. So, yes, it will be disruptive and there'll be um, effects. There could be considerable effects on sort of economic output in the shorter run. But I think generally um, strikes don't have a a long-run effect. Um, I think the evidence um, is that uh, businesses and economies do recover quite quickly from from strikes. So mm -hmm. I don't see any really long-run effect um, as far as the strikes are concerned, you know, directly impacting on productivity. Um, so I, I, I think the main thing is, you know, what is going to be the outcome? What wage increases are we going to see uh, emerging um, from hopefully uh, some settlements of the these strikes. That's mm. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I take your point there. So, I mean, how do you, Professor, see the future? I mean, is the government doing enough to address this economic crisis? Um, because you know we've had you know, the prime minister himself saying that that he's trying to deliver on growth. Where is that growth going to come from? Okay, well, this is quite a complicated. <laughs> I mean, is it going to be these free ports? Um, is it going to be a, a transition to net zero? Is this where we're going to look at these new industries, these eco-friendly industries, the, the investment, although it's lacking currently? Um, will that be, you know, the 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 panacea to the economy? 
Well, yeah, I don't think there's any panacea. I don't think there's any uh, silver bullet. <laughs> okay. Um, as far as, you know, the, you know, the development of the economy over the next few years is concerned, promoting um, economic growth and the like, you know, the factors you mentioned are all relevant. I think you mentioned, you know, green growth and mm-hmm. things like that. You know, I've, I've just written down um, a number of things, the... Uh, Chancellor might do, the government might do to improve growth. I've got, I've got eight uh, points so far, and uh, I could undoubtedly lengthen the list. But um, I, you know, I could make um, a few, um, a few suggestions. Mm-hmm. What's number like, one? What's number one on your hit list, then, me? Professor? Oh, I think the housing market needs uh, right. give some. Uh, suggestions for how to do that but you know the housing market doesn't work very well mm. you know, we have very high house prices um which Interest causes rates as well, so. mm. mobility uh, mobility is low so promoting uh, mobility of workers particularly is an important factor in promoting growth so yeah housing market reform i put very highly up on my list and um you know things like education skills and training mm-hmm. um you know, there are a number of ways in which, you know, the workforce is not uh, as skilled as it might be, mm-hmm. to put it away. So um, I think skill skill training uh, and the like are are very important. Uh, another, another factor is um, what I might call the discouraged workers effect. You've probably mm-hmm. heard of, you know, many workers, you know, in their perhaps 50s, close mm-hmm. to retirement, um, who've... Uh, sort of uh, exited from the labor market there's there's been a large exit of such workers and you know this talk about bringing these workers back into the labor market i'm not quite sure how you do it but you know appropriate measures to do that may um may um were they were they um did they exit or were they people who were laid off during mm-hmm. the pandemic that that's a a question i'm quite interested in knowing were they were they people who just gave like we don't want to work anymore or these, this is a very or big given ma- voluntary yeah. redundancies. Yeah, yeah. Well, was this a large majority of people who were actually laid off by their companies? Well, I, yeah, I think it's I think it's probably a mixture of 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 these factors. But you know, I, I think it's often people who are who are laid off during the pandemic who you know didn't go back to work uh, either because they. They preferred um, staying at home and uh, didn't feel like going back to work, or, or you know, possibly long-term illness, long, mm-hmm. you know, things, things like that. Um, so uh, you know, I think that is um, an important um, problem. And uh, again, if something can be done to address that, that may affect the uh, economy in the long run. But mm-hmm. uh, say there are a whole number of things which. Uh, you know, could be done. I'm a little sceptical about whether they, they will be done or how many of them will be done. Mm, true, true that. Anyway, thank you very much, uh, Professor John Fender. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon on the Drive Time Show. OK, well, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Mm. Have thank a good you. day. 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. I mean, what challenges, uh, although... 
uh, both our guests have really kind of pointed them out. But what other challenges uh, are there to the economy around? Now, the, um, if we talk about the challenges which we have um, to our, our economy, the House of Lords um, Economic Affairs Committee said the uh, sharp and rising economic uh, inactivity is due to the working age adults not participating in the job market. Economists have warned that decline in public service and record NHS um, waiting lists are contributing to off long-term sickness in adults. As the sickness uh, rate arises, working-age adults are uh, neither in employment nor looking for a job. Now, according to the report, um, where, where all, uh, where of, you know, uh, where have all the workers gone? It is it also um, reducing tax revenue available to um, finance public services, and uh, changes in the structure of migration after Brexit, uh, with severe st- um, stuff sort. Uh, shortages across the country so we don't have you know really workers um, mm-hmm. and uh, because of that um, and this uh, is one of those we, things of Brexit because absolutely. we've stopped yeah. that f- that uh, free flow of labor absolutely. in and out and we've seen that exodus of nurses uh, from the NHS or within the NHS service going back to Europe mm-hmm. so there's a you know there's a skill and labor shortage we can't and and okay, even if I cast my mind back to summer of last year, before all these strikes, um, I don't know if you guys remember the news that you know Kent, the Garden of England, you know mm-hmm. all your fruits, soft fruits come from there. You know, fields, right? Farms mm. of strawberries, farms of daffodils. In, in earlier in the year, were lying, rotting away. Rotting away. Mm. Why? Because they didn't have seasonal workers right to come and pick it because you know those uh, types of uh, agricultural farming rely are heavily labor dependent Mm -hmm. there isn't a machine which can pick soft fruit without damaging the fruit you need to have the the tensile kind of like the tactile ability of hands just Mm -hmm. to pick that fruit right so it's not this is a long time coming basically right um, is what I'm trying to say, and you know, th- th- there isn't going to be some quick fix. Quick fix. Um, so you, there can't be this that oh, let's just make it go back to the way it was before uh, Brexit. Let's, you know, you don't know that as well. We, you know, I, I think a lot of people who, you know, in terms of Brexit itself, mm-hmm. um, they could not have preempted. Okay, if we argue it from this line, they could not have necessarily have preempted that it could be this bad. That you know everything. No, is, granted. Yeah. I think 2016, the referendum, no one really knew yeah. exactly, right? But I think even in after the referendum, and um, in the three years, because we actually got Brexit done in 2019, yeah. the end of 2019, those three years, the government had time. They've got think tanks to see yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. But I could pretty much tell you, I'm not an economist. Yeah. If you cut ties with your neighbour, neighbor, yeah. who happens to be like 500 million strong, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you're looking to make new trade deals with people who are the other side mm-hmm. of the, the world, of the right? World, yeah. 
Who's going to benefit? Who's going to benefit? Really, who's going to benefit? But to talk more about this, we're joined by our last guest of the day, Sean Richards. Now, Sean is a economic uh, economist specialising in inflation and monetary economics. So maybe he can shed some light as to the economic strategy of the government. Uh, good afternoon, Sean. Peace and blessings be upon you. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Thank you. And the same for you. So do you think our economic policies are good enough to take us out of recession? I mean, not mine, but I'm talking about Rishi Sunak's governments. Sure, no problem. Well, we may not actually be in one. Okay. In terms of the figures so far, um, we have the monthly numbers for November, and December would have to be very poor for us to be in a recession. Mm-hmm. Of course, we don't know that because we haven't had them yet, but... That's the state of play. In terms of their policy, I, I would spin it back a bit. I don't think Rishi Sunak actually really has one. Okay. Because he ended up in a position, if people can remember back to last, late last September, mm. when there was a policy of Liz Truss and quasi Quarteng, except they tried to do too much in one go. And then they had various issues that didn't play very well, like they helped bankers' bonuses and that mm. sort of thing. And that all spiralled away. So then we had the Prime Minister Sunak, Chancellor Hunt plan. Mm -hmm. There wasn't really any growth in that at all. That was sort of, if you like, old era British policy. It could have come from 40, 50 years ago Mm -hmm. that you'd sort of retrench in. And because we now have inflation, another link with the past, things like not updating um, tax thresholds and so on, bring in quite a bit of cash. So good for the government but bad for us because we're mm-hmm. paying it. Mm-hmm. So, if anything, his policy is making it worse, in my opinion. Oh, okay. So, they need a rethink. I know that the Chancellor spoke, was it last week? Mm-hmm. And really, that's the way these things work out. That was basically all PR, trying to cover off the fact that they, they now have the wrong policy. Right, okay. So, it's it's not having got a plan, but their the policies were taking us down the wrong route to, well, not recovery, but to uh, sustained economic growth. I think Imran's yeah, got a question. Yeah, and things do change. Let me give you something that's a big change, and yeah. I'd say is issue number one at the minute, is energy prices. Mm-hmm. Not only because of what they feed into and their costs for so many people. Mm-hmm. For some people, of course, they just can't afford it at all, so it's a, you know, a human cost issue. But so much of economics at the minute is around energy prices. Now, the picture there because the winter's been relatively mild, and to some extent we've had wind, always when we wanted it, but some, then the pattern for 2023 is now looking a lot better. Mm-hmm. So the, the Sumac Hunt plan, in essence, was to batten down the hatches that we're going to have to spend a lot of money in energy help. Now that's gone. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we don't absolutely know that, but looking at the patterns, mm-hmm. it all looks very, very different. So some of that's hopeful. There's some good news in that because on that road, inflation will fall and things will start not getting bad. Sorry, excuse me, will get worse more slowly and then pick up. Mm -hmm. Um, But from the point of view of the government, they've been left sort of behind events. Mm -hmm. But for once, at least... Mm -hmm. So, Sean, uh, we think that, you know, the pandemic and... Sure. So sorry, um, Sean. We think uh, we think that you know the pandemic and uh, uh, Ukraine crisis are the main causes of the current economic climate. 
But do you think the Brexit played any role in this regard? Very little. Um, mm -hmm. I think that my argument all along over the period that it's covered is that the impacts are relatively minor. There was, I, I did the numbers when we first left, and people may recall in 2016 there was a fall in the pound. Now that then raised inflation by about 1.4% by my maths. So there was an impact mm -hmm. there down. Um, but now so many things have moved on. And as I just said, the real issue is energy prices. Now, mm -hmm. if people want an irony, of course, the irony here is we've sort of copied Europe in the wrong policy. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that renewables are bad, but we left ourselves exposed to a situation whereby there was a fear of the gas taps being turned off mm -hmm. and prices went through the roof. And there was a problem before Ukraine. Um, I was looking up the other day some stuff I did in um, 2021, so well before the Ukraine war, and there was a mention of gas prices in Italy being up 17%. So there was an existing problem that the war made worse. And that's the big challenge facing us right now, looking forwards, you know, energy policy, what will we do? And one of the problems is that responses to this are so slow. You know, when people try and build a nuclear power plant these days, it takes a decade. And that seems to be, if you're lucky, because many of them Yeah, it's not even a right thing, is it, really? So it's not really an answer in any foreseeable future. You know, obviously, if it's left to me, I'd build one or two, because... So, Sean, uh, in regards to the future, 2030. in regards to the future, how do you see the future? How do you see it? Is the government doing enough to address the economic crisis? Not really, because as I just said, it's moved on them, which is probably always likely. I thought that their policy actually was quite negative. Whilst Truss and Quartin, as I said at the beginning, overplayed their hand and it all collapsed on them, they did at least have some sort of plan for going forwards. Whereas I think that, to my mind, the sort of Sunak thing has always been a, an accept, accept and decline rather than trying to go forwards. Because there, there are things that can be done. And for people, I'm hopeful, lots of people go around, you just say, are working away and plugging away, and they'll advance things. But the government itself seems to be a bit stuck. It's classic um, HM Treasury policy. Mm -hmm. that we've sort of had for 30, 40, 50 years. It never really worked. Hmm. But I mean, we're seeing currently that uh, you know the the outlook for uh, the economy in 2023. And so you know, you're unfortunately painting a bit of a bleak picture uh, with this raft of strikes through the public sector. I mean, previous guests, as I said, that you know, th you know, it seems to be the government's uh, strategy that. You know, we're not going to give any pay rises because if we give one sector a pay rise, that's going to incite other sectors. I mean, where where is where is the or if there is any, uh, you know, light at the end of the tunnel for the UK? Well, I was saying, I think it is in the energy prices thing that's improved. Um, the pay issue, which has led to a lot of this, is an interesting one. If you look at the numbers, then private sector pay is going up by seven percent. Mm -hmm and the public sector by 2 or 3%. So you can see where the problem starts. Mm -hmm. um, because there's a lot less... Uh, I'm not sure how long they think they can get away with that. Listeners may recall, if we go back about a year, maybe a bit more, the Governor of the Bank of England was saying that 
people should avoid pay rises, mm -hmm. to which he got the obvious response, well, on your money, you can afford to. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so the, in economics, there's always this issue. People are frightened of what's called a wage cost, wage price spiral, that wages push it back up again. But the problem with that, if you stick with that, is that you make everyone poorer. Mm. The inflation's 10%, let's say, and wage rises are 5%. I mean, in itself, 5% is a decent rise, but you've still just lost 5% mm. in mm. real terms. And that really is the... That was the story of 2022. Mm -hmm. If you want a hopeful spin, as I said before, the issue is over energy prices, they might come back down. If we get a bit more luck and they actually fall, then we might get ourselves into a bit more of a virtuous circle. Mm -hmm. But mostly, that's outside government's control. Mm. If, though... And again, this is predates the Sunak government. But we've had a long period whereby um, governments of each thing have wanted to close coal power stations and things like that. And it's made us more vulnerable and helped contribute to last year. So there, there is a problem. We actually, my point is we actually need some sort of policy that works. Mm, exactly. Well, Chris, it's been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon. Thank you for joining us on the, uh, Sean, I should say, apologies. Uh, thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. My pleasure. Have thank you. Day. Have a good day. Well, um, that really brings us right to the end of the show. I will quote uh, His Holiness, Mr. Masra Ahmed, uh, may Allah be his helper, or strengthen his hand. Islam teaches us how to conduct our financial and economic affairs and outlines the responsibilities of a true Muslim in his financial dealings. Whilst Islamic teachings are given in the Holy Quran, command Muslims to fulfill the rights owed to God. At the same time, they also instruct us to fill the rights of God's creation. Now, with that, I uh, give thanks to our producers, uh, Jamila Bryant, Sana Nadim, and Nabahat Naira. Also to my co-hosts, uh, Imam Rana Rahman, Imam, Imam Imran Akram, and our backroom staff, Habib. Uh, I'm Talib Man. This was Monday's edition of The Drive Time Show.